we have been in the series on the 2020 vision and getting ready for having a, a proper vision for our life for this next year. And I'm going to tell you, this is a very powerful, important uh, season. We've been talking about this 2020 vision. And if you remember, I talked about the power of the Word of God on the first week, that we need to get into the Word and get the Word in us. You know, it's so easy to, to push yourself away and to not be engaging at the Word of God. And we've been uh, uh, just, you know, compelled to get back into the Word of God, that you are shaped and you are changed, and you are transformed by the Word of God. And so make sure you do that. Then we talked about the power of fellowship the week after. And that was a very emotional sermon like it was for Kathy today, this word. God calling us back to fellowship. God calling us to commitment to the body of Christ, commitment to one another, and uh, the importance of fellowship in these last days, which we are in, by the way, church. And uh, we talked about the prayer, uh, uh, really the power of of uh, you know identity or the power of really of of coming to the prayer of examine and saying Lord search me and know me and see if there's any wicked way in me lead me in the way everlasting how this powerful practice of allowing the Spirit of God to show you the things that He's working on in your life uh, is actually a delightful incredible habit that you can have in your life. And so we talked about that last week. All three of these sermons are online. If you missed any one of them, I encourage you to go and to listen. And I'm going to conclude this series on vision, our 2020 vision, this week and the power of story. Next week, we're starting a new series. And you need to be here. It's called The Cross-Shaped Life. The Cross-Shaped Life. You know, God is leading our church into a greater devotion. He's leading our house into a greater consecration. He's leading us to let go of some things and to embrace his kingdom. And that's what I'm going to really talk about today, the power of stories. Don't leave. Stay if you can. I know Doug and Kathy already told me you've got to leave a little bit early, so don't be offended. I won't call them out when they do. But uh, stick around because I really believe the Lord God Almighty has a word for you and for I today. You see, every one of us has a story. Every single person in this room has a story. You don't know that story. I don't know that story. But the thing we need to understand more than anything else in this world today is that everyone is invited to bring their story into his story. That's the invitation of the Holy Ghost. That's the invitation of the Lord. And listen to me, when we enter his story, our story becomes history. Did you catch the play on words? See what I did there? Yeah, thank you very much. You actually start a new chapter. It's a whole new book. When you enter into his story, he takes your story and he, he reworks it and, and that doesn't change your past, but it changes the meaning of your past. And now you have a new story. And listen to me, as we bring our story into his story, we give others permission to do the same. Well, let's pray, and we're going to look at one of the great stories in the New Testament. If you brought your Bible, you can go to John chapter 4, and I'm going to be going through the story of Jesus meeting with the Samaritan woman at the well. Let's pray. Holy Ghost, you're capturing hearts and minds even today. Lord, for today you release that prophetic word that has been in Kathy's heart for a long time. Lord, we need to stop being so casual. 
with our relationship with you and start to show up, Lord God, with you and with one another. Lord, that's not to condemn anybody in this room, but to challenge us all to say, Lord, I want to go deeper. I want to go higher. I want to have a wider birth of relationship and give you more room in my heart and life. And I say thank you for that, Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus. Bless your word today, Lord. Eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive and respond. Give us a greater revelation of you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in the story, and it starts off, let me just, I'm going to read large portions of this text, but listen to the story. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. This Passion Translation starts, chapter 4 of John, saying, a thirsty Savior. Jesus heard what was being said about him, uh, really about him uh, surpassing John the Baptist in converts, and abruptly, abruptly left Judea and returned to the province of Galilee, and he had to pass through the Samaritan territory. Jesus arrived at the Samaritan village in Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph long ago. Wearied by his long journey, he sat on the edge of Jacob's well. He sent his disciples into the village to buy some food, for it was already afternoon. So he goes to, into Samaria, and he goes to this well, and uh, the King James Version actually says he sat on the well which doesn't really make sense, but if you understand how wells work, they would be like this built-up section of land that's built up like this and uh, with walls all the way around, and then they would have a cap on top of the well so that animals or dirt or different things couldn't fall in. Do you understand? So Jesus is literally sitting on this well. He's sitting on top of it, and uh, that's where the story leads us. So that doesn't sound like such an interesting story so far, Pastor Greg. Okay, Jesus is tired. He's sitting on a well. But you need to understand the history, what's going on here. And this is where I'm going to need to paint a picture for you, so be patient with me. So what is Samaria? Why is it such a critical thing? And what's this well that we're talking about? What's going on? So understand back in the uh, book of Genesis, uh, there's, you know, we, we talk about Abraham's life and he has a son and one of his son's sons is Jacob. And Jacob has all these sons. He has 12 sons and they're the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay. And uh, and Genesis paints that whole picture, and all the first five books of the Bible talks about their exodus coming out of Egypt, coming out of slavery, and they go on this journey toward the promised land, and that's really the first five books of the Bible are this story of the 12 tribes of, of Israel and the nation of Israel being pulled out of Egypt, out of slavery, and heading toward the promised land. And so as they head toward the promised land, uh, Joshua begins to to take the promised land and they begin to enter and all of them are, all the 12 tribes are given a parcel of land and they're all living in different spots, but they don't really hang on to anything. There's really no nation that's really pulled strongly together. So in the book of Judges, we see the nation beginning to crumble and and invaders to coming in and taking back the promised land until we come to 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel when God anoints a king. And God anoints a king because the people have requested a king. Uh, and God says, okay, I'll give you what you asked for. He anoints King Saul, who begins to pull the nation together. But then King David comes and completely pulls the nation together. And so we see in God's eyes and estimation, really the health of the nation, this powerful nation of Israel in the world at that time, is really representing God's heart and God's uh, heart and intentions to this world. Well, David has a son. And David's son is named Solomon. 
And Solomon, he's kind of half-heartedly following God and half-heartedly not, you know, kind of like maybe a little bit like the word, you know, like we're talking about. He, and he, but he builds this incredible temple. And to build this temple, he's taxing his own people. Are you following me? He's taxing his own people, but they're all going, well, we'll put up with it for a while. We, we know we got to pay taxes. we got a king. He builds this incredible palace for himself, this incredible temple. He's probably one of the wealthiest men in the history of the world is King Solomon. I mean, incredible. And uh, this, this temple is inlaid with gold and, and jewel encrusted. It is gorgeous, beautiful testimony to the living God. And uh, the people are going, okay, we're a nation now. Now we have a place of worship in Jerusalem. It's all good. And then he has a son, and his son's name is Rehoboam. And the counselors go to Rehoboam, and they say, Rehoboam, great, we love the fact that we have a kingdom now. Now we have a nation. Everything's wonderful. But you got to stop taxing the people so heavily. The modern parallel for me is so incredible. But anyway, I'll... I, I digress. And so yeah, he, tack, he says, yeah, you think my dad was hard on you? I'm going to be harder. Again, the modern parallel. <laughs> Sorry. So what ends up happening is 10 of the tribes say, forget you, we're leaving. And they literally split off the nation. And so to, the, to the, the north, we have the nation of, of Judah, sorry, to the nation of Israel, and to the south, we have the nation of Judah. And the nation of Judah, the capital is Jerusalem, and the worship is to happen at the temple, and, and, and the temple of God that's built in Jerusalem, and the nation to the north called the nation of, uh, the, sorry, the kingdom of, of Israel, they, they, they build their nation's capital in a place called Shechem. And then they build on Mount Gerizim, they build their own temple. Are you following me? The nation's divided. So everybody knows this story. We're, we're getting caught up 2,000 years later. But everybody hearing this and watching this right now, watching this story, reading this story in the Bible, all get the history of what's going on. And so that's what's happened. You have these two kingdoms, the Assyrians to the, the north and the, and the nation of Judah to the south. What happens later on, I mean, out of eight kings that are in the northern kingdom, the Bible says all of them are wicked. And so God says, that's enough. I can't have this nation carry on the way it is. And so the Assyrians come in and completely devastate the nation. And they repopulate it with people from other areas that they've conquered. Are you following me? And so this northern kingdom becomes starting to breed with people from other parts of the world. And that's where the Samaritans are formed. So they were once Jewish followers of God, and now they're, they're, they're coming back, but there's something that's changed. Are you following me? And that something that's changed is very interesting because they still follow the first five books of the Bible. So they follow what's called the Pentateuch of the Bible. They follow the rules and the regulations therein. But they don't believe that Jerusalem is the center of where their worship should be. They don't believe in the pilgrimage. And they cut off all the rest of the Old Testament saying because it refers to David and it refers to the kingdom in the south and we don't want anything to do with that. So you're getting an idea of the picture now. You're starting to see. Now, there is bad blood between these two nations. Are you following me? They're cousins. They're related. Are you following me? They're connected. 
but there's some stuff going on. As a matter of fact, some 200 years later, so 537 BC, the Assyrians come in and scatter the nation to the north. They scatter uh, the, the nation of Israel or the kingdom of Israel. But 200 years later, the kingdom of Judah comes in and they're taken captive by the Babylonian empire and taken away. 70 years of captivity, they come back and they reform the nation of Israel. And then back in about, what was it, 128 BC. <laughs> Just to add insult to injury, now they're getting stronger as a nation. Guess what they do? They go and attack Samaria. They attack Samaria. They destroy the capital of Shechem. They go up on the mountain and they tear down completely the temple on Mount Gerizim. This is where Jesus is standing. He's literally sitting on a well right now. He's sitting on a well and you can see Mount Gerizim where he's sitting. The place of Samaritan worship. Do you understand? This is like Calgary coming and conquering Edmonton and tearing down Rexall Place. And wearing a Calgary Flames jersey to church, Don. Sorry. Did you understand? This is intense. You Jews, listen to me, Jews didn't go to Samaria. Do you know they actually built a road around Samaria so they didn't have to do what Jesus did? And yet the scripture says Jesus had to go through Samaria. It wasn't because there was no other road. How many of you know there was somebody else leading him in that moment? So what happens? How does the story go? This story gets more exciting. This is like Hollywood great story. Jesus is sitting on a well. He's tired. He's in Samaria. He sends all his guys to go and get some groceries. Do you understand all 12 of them had to go? Because it's like you're going down into enemy's territory. And it's like when they see a Jew coming into a Samaritan village, they're like, what are they doing here? We, they're all wearing Oilers jerseys. carry on the analogy. Wear your jersey tonight, by the way. It's going to be a good night. So we, listen what happens next. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink of water. Surprised, she said, why would a Jewish man ask a Samaritan woman for a drink of water? Tense. Oh, Jesus replied, if you only knew who I am and the gift that God wants to give you. You'd ask me for a drink, and I would give you living water. The woman replied, but sir, you don't even have a bucket, and this is a very deep well, so where do you get this living water? Do you really think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob? Jesus answered, if you drink from Jacob's well, you'll be thirsty again and again, but anyone who drinks the living water I give them, they will never thirst again and will be forever satisfied. The woman replied, let me drink of this water so I'll never have to be thirsty again and I won't have to come back here to draw water. Jesus said, go, get your husband and bring him back here. But I'm not married, she says. The woman answered, that's, uh, sorry, the woman answered, that's true, Jesus said. <laughs> For you've been married five times 
And the man you're living with now is not your husband. You have spoken the truth. Pause. This story is, the popcorn is popping. Are you chewing your popcorn more? It's like, oh, this is so awesome. What's going to happen next? This is quite the story. Wow, Jesus. You go on a journey and it gets interesting. So we find out this woman's a Samaritan, which Jews and Samaritans don't mix. She's even blown away that Jesus would talk to her. She's a woman, which if you understand rabbinic history, rabbis aren't allowed to talk to single women, to associate with them without somebody present. That's not even, they can't even do that. Here's Jesus alone speaking to this woman, a Samaritan woman, and a Samaritan woman of questionable storied past. This is unbelievable. So why does she come at noon? Most of you know this. It's very interesting. She comes at noon to draw water, which nobody in the Mediterranean goes at noon to draw water. When you draw water in Samaria or anywhere in the Mediterranean, you go either early in the morning or later just before dusk because it's too hot during the day. So you don't do that. You see, it's also a social gathering place. It's a place where women would come because the women were the carriers of the water in the Mediterranean culture. They would show up and everybody would come in the morning and they would all lift the lid and they would all help each other fill their jugs. And they would talk. They would share the town gossip. They would talk about this woman. Come on. I mean, this is a storied past even for today. Never mind in the day of Jesus. As a matter of fact, one historian said it this way, the fact that she's drawing water in mid-afternoon reminds us that the woman is in social isolation. She draws water when other women are absent. Later we learn the reason for her social isolation. She has doomed her reputation and broken the morals of her community. Wow. But Jesus engages her story. I love this. Remember, he, he is the living water of God. Do you understand that it's a story about a well sitting on a well? <laughs> it's a story of the well blocking someone's way to the well and saying there's a better story for you to be engaged in than getting water out of this well. And if you'll ask me, you who have this storied past, who would never measure up based on any religious activity at all, you are rejected by your own community, you're rejected by the Jews, you're rejected by everybody, I've come to give you a drink. Wow. I'm asking for a drink, Jesus says, but you're the one who really needs a drink. Of course, she thinks he's talking about natural water. Why don't you give me this drink so I don't have to come back here in my shame in the middle of the day and draw water? Why don't you help me just get that drink right now? Thank you very much. And of course, Jesus tells her, no, 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 no. You're thinking wrongly. You're misunderstanding. Let's go on in the story. It's good, isn't it? I wish I had popcorn for you, but tonight we will. 
The woman said, you must be a prophet. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So tell me this, why do our fathers worship God here on this nearby mountain, but your people teach that Jerusalem is the place where we must worship, which is right? Jesus responds, believe me, dear woman, the time has come when you won't worship the Father on a mountain, nor in Jerusalem, but in your heart. From here on, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but the right heart. For God is a spirit, and he longs to have sincere worshipers who worship and adore him in the realm of spirit and truth. The woman said, this is all so confusing, but I know that when the anointed one comes, the true Messiah, when he comes, he will tell us everything we need to know. And Jesus says to her, you don't have to wait any longer. The anointed one is here speaking with you. I am the one that you're looking for. Whoo! You know what he says? He says, I am the I am that you need. I'm everything you need. I'm everything you've been looking for. You don't need to go anywhere else for a drink. Wow. I love it. I love her initial reaction. By the way, I'm teaching you something about how to engage with people in this story. Well, Jesus is. I'm not. <laughs> when Jesus confronts her sin and reveals something through the power of the Holy Spirit that she's had five husbands, the man she's with now is not her husband, what does she immediately try to do? She immediately tries to get Jesus' eyes off of her. <laughs> oh, I can see you're a prophet. You Jews say we need to worship there. And our fathers say we need to worship here. Well, which is it? Do you understand? That's, that's the attitude she's approaching with. She's freaking out because Jesus is reading her mail. And he disarms her again. Oh, dear woman. How many know she's never been called dear woman? She's never had somebody be tender and loving and caring and merciful and good to her. Dear woman, that's not what you need. Worship is about to change. Wow. You see, Jesus invites her to bring her story into his story. I love this. I want you to get this. This is very, very, very important in the text. I want you to understand the progressive revelation that comes to this woman. She meets Jesus for the first time and she calls him Jew. How many of that is not a term of affection? What are you a Jew asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink for? And as the story goes on, she then calls him sir. Her level of respect goes up a little bit. He's talking to me. I, he's not judging me. He's, maybe he doesn't know my whole story. That must be it. And then she calls him a prophet because he does know her whole story. And then do you understand that she had understanding of the Old Testament, first five books of the Bible, and they knew that one day as a Samaritan, a prophet would come who would reveal the kingdom of God to them. They knew that. So she's actually calling it a prophet, but he is actually the prophet. 
And then she says, well, maybe, you know, when the anointed one comes, he'll tell us everything. Do you see the progressive revelation that's coming to her? The progressive revelation into the story. Something's changing. Her perception of Jesus. How many of you know that when you're dealing with people and you're talking with people, how many of you know they have a certain revelation of Jesus that needs to progress? You can't expect a sinner to be a saint without a revelation of God. Anyway, it goes on. She calls him the anointed one, then the Messiah, and when the Christ comes. And then he says, I am the I am that you're looking for. And we're going to find out in the next passage that she reads. She basically leads an entire city to Jesus Christ. And they all say this, we know that this man is the Savior of the world. You are dealing, my friends, with people every day who have a story, and God isn't angry at them. God doesn't hate them. He just wants them to bring their story into his story. Amen? Well, the story even gets more dramatic. Can you believe it? Let's read it. At that moment, the disciples returned and were stunned Can you somebody give me a picture of stunned? That's stunned. Do you understand? They're stunned to see Jesus speaking with a Samaritan woman. I love this. All at once, the woman drops her water jar and ran off to the village and told everyone, come and meet the man at the well who told me everything I've ever done. Could he be the anointed one we've been waiting for? Hearing this, the people came streaming out of the village to go see Jesus. I love this, the tension. I hope you get it. As the crowds emerged from the village, Jesus said to his disciples, why would you say the harvest is another four months away? Look at the people coming. Now is harvest time. So there were many from the Samaritan village who became believers in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. When they begged, then they begged Jesus to say, and they said, stay with them, with, and he stayed there for two more days, resulting in many more coming to faith in him because of his teachings. Then the Samaritans said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you told us, but now we've heard for ourselves and we're convinced that he really is the true Savior of the world. Wow. I mean, the disciples come back and they're stunned, church. Do you understand? Like, you just don't talk to Samaritans, never mind a Samaritan woman alone. Jesus, are you crazy? You're a rabbi. And you're engaging this woman. They don't even know the rest of her story at this point. But they're incredibly judgmental. She looks at them She's received love and grace from Jesus, but she looks at them and is not seeing love and grace. She drops her water jar and runs to the town. Incredible. And she says when she gets there, come and see the man who's told me everything I ever did and offered me a way to worship God in a new way. The disciples see the people coming out. Understand when they've just been in the town, guys. Check this out. They've just been in the town. They've just been in the enemy's territory. They are all wearing their earliest jersey. They all know they're Jews. 
Okay, not the Jew. Well, a Jewish guy does own the Oilers. So there we go. Um, do you understand? They, they all know they're Jews. They're all wearing Calgary Flames jerseys. And they're looking at this, this group of guys now going back up the hill. And guess what? C- coming streaming out of the town. What do you think the disciples are thinking when they see the entire town coming toward them? <laughs> Jesus, hurry up and eat something. We've got to go. They know we can't get these jerseys off fast enough. We are Jews and the Samaritans are coming and they're going to deal with us. And Jesus is looking at them and seeing something completely opposite, isn't he? Oh, look at the harvest walking toward us. So exciting. All these storied people with a storied past who hate us. (laughs) They're coming up the hill right now. Isn't this fun? No, Jesus, it's not fun. Oh, Jesus is so fun. Here's two things we need to know that reflect on us in this story. Let's land this ship. Number one is this. Jesus changes the way we worship. I love what she says. She says, he told me everything I ever did. Jesus didn't tell her everything she ever did. He just told her about her past. But how many of you know when you're living in sin and darkness, it becomes your everything? How many of you know when you're consumed by something, it's the thing that you focus on all the time, and it's the thing that you think people define you by all the time, and it's how you define yourself all the time? Anybody else ever been there? This is her everything in her sense. The way she sees herself, the way her community sees her, he knew everything about me. And he still offered me a drink. He offered me a drink. A drink of living water. We define ourselves by our pain and our failures and our past, which consume us. But Jesus wants us to leave our story behind and embrace his story and his invitation. See, remember, Jesus is a well sitting on a well. This is her source of life-giving water. Jesus, would you mind moving so I can get some water? And she's like, I'm not moving, but if you ask me for a drink, I'll give you some water that'll actually make a difference in your life for eternity. What a story. Now, the Jews understand something in the Samaritans both listen to me carefully this story is layered with story and it's layered with story upon story and and the Jews and Samaritans both had a claim on that well do you understand they both are connected to Jacob the father of the 12 tribes of Israel that's what connects them and, and, and understand something. You don't get this maybe right off the hop, but they got it. The minute Jesus started sharing the story, the minute it was written in the word of God, they understood the implications of the story. And this is it. They remembered Jacob's story. See, Jacob was one of the sons, right? And he, he was, his name means deceiver. And let me tell you, he was a deceiver. He was one of the sons of Isaac, him and Jacob and Esau. 
and uh, he deceived Esau. Esau was the older brother. He took his inheritance. He robbed him of his firstborn blessing. He had ripped his brother off and had to run and flee for his life. Are you following me? So he books it, and he goes, and he gets married to a woman. His father-in-law deceives him, marries the wrong woman. Thank God for electricity so you know who you're marrying now, but... but he married the wrong woman, then had to serve for seven years to get the right woman, then he had two women, and by the way, marrying two women, we've been finding out as we're reading Genesis, is not good, it's not helpful, stake with one, that's all you need, and it's enough, amen? And so there's all kinds of stuff. They remember Jacob's story. Now follow me, in the story of Jacob, he is fleeing from his father Laban, father-in-law Laban, and running home and finds out his brother Esau is coming toward him with 400 soldiers. He is freaking out. How many of you know, everybody listening to this story gets the fact that Jacob was being confronted with his past? Just like the woman this is like Hollywood's best movie, 2,000 years old. So the woman's there. He's Jacob's in the story. They remember from Genesis 32 and 33 Jacob's story. Jacob divides his family. He's trying to do everything he can to protect his family. He puts one half of the family in front and one half behind. The one wife he doesn't like as much, he puts her in front. And he puts the one that he likes behind. How many of you know that is, that is twisted and sick and wrong? But that's a whole other sermon, okay? <laughs> and, then, and then he's alone. He's alone and he begins to do something. He's crying out to God. He's, the Bible actually says he's wrestling with God. Literally, physically wrestling with God. And as he's wrestling with God, he's like, God, you said you were going to bless me. God, you said you were going to make a great nation out of me. God, my brother is coming to kill me. I have no hope. Long story short, they end up wrestling. The man says, you need to let me go. You need to let me go. You need to let me go. And uh, he says, I'm not letting you go unless you bless me. He says, what's your name? He says, my name's Jacob. He says, well, you're no longer Jacob. Your name is Israel. For you have wrestled with God and you have survived. He changes him forever. How many know his encounter with God changed him? How many know this woman's encounter with God changed her? She was no longer the woman who had had five husbands and was married now with a guy that she wasn't her husband. She was a new creation. Historians actually record a, the name of a woman that they believe is the woman. It's not in the Bible, so I won't mention her name, but you can research it yourself. They believe she was the first evangelist ever to lead an entire city to Christ. Whew. See, here's this woman. Her worry, her story changed forever. Check this out. She has her water jar and she dumps it and leaves it. What has she just exchanged her source of life for? Crazy. 
she leaves her life, her story behind and starts a new story. Do you know you can start a new story tonight, today, church? You can leave your water jug behind for you have a new source of life. Oh, there's so many layers to this story. I wish I could just go deeper and deeper and deeper with you. Oh, let me just give you one more because it's so good. If you knew what I threw away to preach this sermon, you'd be more impressed. Because everything I dug out, I was like, this is so good. This is so good. You know that Jacob gave that land to his son. That son's name was Joseph. And he gave Joseph that land with the well on it because he, Joseph, was sold into slavery by his brothers, yet he redeemed his brothers from destruction. How many of you know that that picture of Joseph is actually a picture of Jesus? That way back in the Old Testament, Jesus was being foretold through the life of Joseph, you're going to be sold into slavery because of the sin of your brothers. But you're going to redeem them from their sin and rescue them. And so remember when the woman said, are you better, are you better than our, our forefather Jacob? Yep. Because I proceed from the loin and the heart of God to come and be your redeemer. I'm sitting on the well that I created because uh, I created the men who dug this well and I created and I created. I'm the voice of wisdom that speaks into this world. I am greater and I'm offering you a drink. Wow. See, we always need to understand that each one of us is like the woman. She's a picture of humanity. And every single human being is digging their own well, trying to get water from this world, trying to satisfy a thirst that can never be satisfied by the world. That's our picture, church. We all have our past, our storied past, and Jesus is offering us a new story. That's why Jeremiah 2.13 says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me the fountain of living water, and hewn out cisterns, broken cisterns, which can really hold no water. That's what we do. So all of us need to stop kind of defending our stories. We need to stop living by our story and start embracing his story. Understand the Jews had a story they said you can only worship in Jerusalem and only at the temple. The Samaritans had a story. You can only worship at uh, Mount Gerizim and you can, only, you, know, you can only do that through the temple that we have. And how many of you know even we Christians have sometimes built stories and defended our little story? I want to give you a picture. I think there's a picture of Jacob, Jacob's well in 1970. Look at how they're trying to build walls around it. There's a cross. See it? And so they're trying to build walls to protect Jacob's temple. Now, go to the next slide, because this is actually Jacob's temple today. See that little purple dome or pink dome? That's actually a church. And that's where Jacob's well is today. Guess where I'm standing taking that picture? It's not me taking it, but the photographer. He's standing on Mount Gerizim. 
He's standing in the place of Samaritan worship, looking down on the Christians, and they've built this temple. This is the Greek Orthodox Church built on the site of Jacob's well. (laughs) We want to protect our story. We do it all the time, guys. God's saying, tear down the walls. God can reach your heart no matter where you are. It doesn't matter what your story is. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter the people in this world. They come with a story, but Jesus says, come. Come. But you don't know my story. It doesn't matter. You see, this is the way that has also changed because of this story. Jesus changes the way we share his story with others. How are we as Christians going to live with storied people that we encounter every day? Think about the way Jesus treated this woman. He approached her with genuine interest and love, not with judgment, but with kindness. He engaged her not just to win her to his point of view, but loved her in spite of their differences so that her perception of him and his, he could offer her change. It's incredible when you think about it. Her understanding of Jesus grew because of his love. How many of you know you meet people every day, they're not going to get converted in one sitting? Until you offer them a better story than they have presently. And how many know that's going to take a word called time? you're going to have to be faithful in presenting who Christ is. Here's the question. Can we love people enough to allow them to grow in their revelation of who Christ is? Jesus stimulates thirst. He doesn't turn on the fire hose. He doesn't blow their head off right away. It's not like, oh, hi, woman. Oh, where are you going? You're being washed away. No, no, no. Little bit at a time. Little bit at a time. Just enough to have a drink. How many of you know you can't drink out of a fire hose? Please don't try it. You just can't. <laughs> it's not good. I love this uh, Hakura Mak- Makam. I don't know his name. It's somebody. Um, you can look up yourself. <laughs> it's there on the, te- on the screen. He said this text. Always remember that to argue and win is to break down the reality of the person you are arguing against. It is painful to lose your reality, so be kind, even if you are right. You know, we live in a world today, guys, that people are selecting family and friends and tribes more than truth. Truth is secondary to them. I want a family. I want people to love me. I want to be accepted. This is how we help people to bring their story into Christ's story. See, Jesus' conversation with the woman unfolds. He's not sidetracked by secondary issues. Think about your Facebook posts right now. But continues to press home his interest in her personal life. Listen to this. Her ethnicity, religious history, and gender and her story past do not become barriers to him loving her. Wow. Can I just be a little bit hard on us a bit? I think we saints, 
The problem with us saints is that we sometimes forget that our story has been altered because we've entered into his story. And therefore, we become judgmental of people. And we forget we came with a storied past. And, and, and here's the second thing. I think the problem with sinners is that we want to bring our story into his story, but we want to hang on to our story. We don't want to change. Well, if Jesus really loves me, he'll take me where I'm at. He does take you where you're at, but I'm going to tell you, he is going to press you to change your story because your story is killing you. And he loves you too much to hang on to your story. Where are we building walls instead of bridges, church? You know, I love higher grounds. It's a wallless church. I love our higher grounds because people come in there and it's not a church, but they experience the kingdom of God. So well done, all of you who serve at higher grounds. Well done, Pastor Liz and the team that have done that. Amen? See, when you embrace his story, your story becomes history. Who are Samaritans today, church? For each one of you, it may be different, but just, you know, let me paint a couple. Protestants and Catholics. <laughs> I have two aunts that are nuns, and I'm a Protestant now. Yeah. How about Christians and Muslims? How about when I first started in church, it was women in ministry. Do you know there's so many stories? How about gays in the church? People come with stories, church. <laughs> but here's what Jesus says. Do you know me? Are you getting a greater revelation of me? And will you drink from the fountain of my power and presence. I'm not saying we get to keep our stories, but I'm saying you can't change them on your own, nor can anybody else. Amen? I was thinking about Willie. Is Willie here? Willie, where are you? There's Willie. Willie, stand up so everybody sees who you are. Willie is our custodian. Give Willie a hand, and I'm going to tell you why in a minute. You can sit down, Willie. Thanks, buddy. Willie is one of the hardest workers I know. I think he has four jobs. And one of his jobs is he cleans, the, uh, cleans our church offices. And uh, when he first came to us, Pastor Peter hired him to do that job. And uh, Willie was not a believer. He was not a follower of God. But I'm going to tell you, I believe Pastor Peter just loved Willie. The staff just loved Willie. And Willie has been coming to church and made a, 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 turned his heart over to Jesus. You know what's incredible about Willie is there's been a change in his story. So he works at Target. I'll tell you where he works. And one of the guys at Target was having some real issues in his life. And this is incredible. The women who worked in the office at Target said to this man, you should go talk to Willie <laughs> and find out about the church that he goes to. So that's what he did. 
And now Phil, is Phil here? Phil, stand up with Willie. Stand up, both of you. Phil and Willie now come to church and know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. This is the best moment ever. Because people's stories are being changed and becoming history because of his story. Amen? What do you want to do? You want to do that song again, Mitch? Can I tell you something about Mitchell was playing today? I got to tell you, I was sitting right in the front row, and I, Mitchell makes me worship God because I watch him get lost in drumming. No, no, hang on. It's good. It's good. You can clap for him. That's good. But, you know, I know that singing a song for him stretches him because he's more comfortable behind a cage, which is where Betty and I put him most of his life. So... But do you understand, as a, as a father, my heart is cheering him on. And I'm, I'm wicked without God. What does God think about us when we take a step of faith? Church, step out and love people. You're living in a world that people are desperate to hear the story of Jesus Christ and to bring their story into his story. Amen? Why don't you guys come get ready and sing that song? We're going to pray together while they come. We're just going to sing it one more time. As they're preparing to come, I want you to get ready for tonight to come. Servant Leaders Night's just going to be a lot of fun. You know, Kathy's word goes beyond tonight. If you can't make it tonight, don't feel condemned. But come if you can. It's going to be amazing. And, um, but really, her word is about starting to shape our tomorrows by making Christ a priority of our life today. Amen? Here's this thing, guys. We don't need to forget. We can't forget. We all have a story. Don't try to live your story without Jesus today. Accept his invitation and enter into his story so that your story, little by little, will become history. Amen? This is what God wants for you. Don't keep hanging on to your story, believers. Don't think I can just live half in the kingdom and half out. Don't do it anymore. Stop it, stop it, stop it. It's no time to be screwing around. Come fully into the kingdom and let him change you. Amen?